You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host, Jonathan Robinson Lees. Linda Swinfield has developed a resilient and respected career as an artist through a journey of many different pathways. Commencing as a visual arts student in 1979, Linda majored in black and white analogue photography and experimental painting at Meadowbank Technical College in Sydney. Further tertiary studies complemented Linda's practice and continued to provide different perspectives that she has applied to her work. Moving to the Blue Mountains a few years ago has provided a fresh perspective and a sense of inspiration to Linda. Leaning on her many experiences has enabled Linda to reflect on her career and to pass on sound advice to the next generation of creatives. Linda joins us virtually for the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Linda, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Linda, you grew up in Croydon in Sydney's inner west uh, with three other siblings. What was your childhood like? Um, look, I think during the time that I grew up, which was the uh, 70s really, um, and I had a very good childhood. Um, I had a very firm father <laughs> um, who now I, I give uh, great thanks for really who he was, but um, it was, I, I was very different to the rest of my siblings, the youngest of four, and I guess the, you know, probably there was a three-year separation um, in ages for uh, with my siblings, um, but I do think probably, you know, it's that sort of archetypal family where, you know, when you do all the research into... Um, family groupings, um, the youngest is often the creative one, the highly creative one, um, and sometimes quite quirky and different. Different, And I really sort of fit that, that model uh, of uh, uh, a little bit more oddball. And I think my family have always sort of respectfully um, honoured who I am, but I do think that uh, I'm the one that's taken the sort of quirky the quirky path, the difficult path, possibly. I don't think difficult is the right word, but the um, the much less, you know, what was the the, the, the expression, the uh, the path less travelled, or yeah. So I mean, they're all really creative. My brother's a really uh, talented photographer, um, and he was in another profession for a very long time. And when he left, he's just um, moved to uh, Queensland, and he's uh, re-embraced his photography and is doing exceptionally well. My sister, my older sister was a dancer and um, my middle sister was a singer. So we were all creative. Um, we all had uh, creative abilities, um, but I was the one who took the least, I guess, um, least sensible profession might be <laughs> the best way to describe it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, the Inner West was a very different place. And I think, uh, um, you know, I remembered walking around with my dog um, as a child and um, something that I don't think a lot of parents do. There's less uh, less risk with kids now. Um, but, it, yes, it's a very, it was a very different time, I think. Um, and my parents were... Um, in the war, and I think we were all, um, you know, uh, kind of, I guess I identify, I guess, as having done a lot of research into generations as part of my art practice. Um, I kind of actually do sit between um, the baby boom generation and the, the next, I think it's the X generation. Um, but I actually identify more with the baby boom generation, probably because of the age of my parents and the way we were brought up. It was, you know, a firm childhood, I guess, is probably the best description that I can give you. But my mother was really uh, warm and loving and soft and caring and 
and it, so it was a kind of balance of the two quite, um, you know, my father was quite strict and, and uh, my mother was quite, um, yeah, beautiful, warm, <laughs> caring uh, human that she was, yeah. And, and Linda, you described before the show that your mother understood your mix of creative skills and differences and, and understood, I guess, the path that that could create for you. Did your parents, um, were they kind of pushing you into the, the creative world or did you have the ability just to go and explore and, and find things for yourself? Um, well, I guess, I guess that, <clears throat> yeah, my mum used to uh, just put a piece of paper in front of me and I'd draw for hours and um, it was seemingly the only thing um, that I, I mean, I wasn't a very academic child, um, although that has changed. Um, as a result of my interests, um, I left school during during that period. It's quite common to leave and go go to TAFE, um, and I just decided to leave after year ten and went to what was called well, it was now called Sydney Gallery School. At that point, it was just Meadowbank TAFE, and enrolled in a um, what was called an art certificate, which is to a two-year kind of diploma equivalent, and um, I it wasn't a popular decision from my family. Let me put it that way. <laughs> um, I had to. Um, my father. We all had a little allowance, and my older siblings all went through and did their HSC. And um, my father, I think, didn't really like what I was doing and cut off my allowance. Um, so I then went off and got a job. <laughs> um, so it actually it kind of made me more determined to do what I wanted to do. And you know, I'm very quite I'm quite shocked that I'm still in that professional um, kind of arena. Although I've walked off that path several times, um, but art has always been part of my my life in various forms. Um, but yeah, Dad. Dad wanted me to be a secretary or, and that was that um, post-war generation, you know, get a sensible job, um, don't do anything that's too risky. Um, quite, you know, it was quite quite a common story. When I was teaching at TAFE, I would ask, quite often middle-aged women would come in and, well, middle-aged um, people would come in and say to me, oh, I'm so glad to, to be here, you know, and that they'd, they'd being pushed into another profession um, early on and they'd spent their life being, you know, in a trade, an acceptable trade. And I guess that's the thing with, with the, the arts. If you don't come from a background in the arts, it's it's often a difficult um, decision to make. And in my case, you know, toward the end of his life, my father acknowledged fully um, how... Uh, happy he was and how he'd seen um, my success to a degree. Um, and I fully acknowledge too, my father was an amateur um, photographer, but he was also an amateur historian. And the notion of history in my work, I don't think that's entirely accidental. Um, my interest in the, um, the history, the place of history in the landscape, um, I think comes from um, partly from my, my childhood and him collecting historic objects and dragging me to our, um, um, auctions and things like that. So, yeah, it wasn't popular. And I, I still do, I love all my siblings, but I also do think sometimes that they kind of look at me and kind of, <laughs> um, I don't know, I think some of them actually now um, respect what I've done. And I think, but it, it, it's often been a very, uh, it's felt, I've felt like an outsider, I guess, in the family to a degree. Um, and I don't know whether I've done that myself or whether that's where where I, you know, am placed. But, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, Linda, that from an early age you kind of had the pencil and paper in front of you and, you know, the world would almost fall away when you are in that moment. Do you recall that feeling uh, as a young girl growing up what it felt like to be immersed into into the creative 
you know, arts or music or photography, whatever it might have been? Yes, I do. I do. And I think I still feel that. It's that moment where you can... Um, it, it's, it is a disconnection from the world, but it's also a connection to the world. Um, for me, it's a, a, you know, it is a zone that I find it difficult to get into now. I've, I've got such a complex life at the moment. But um, um, a, a cousin of mine calls it the poetic zone. And I think that's a really um, a very good description for being an artist where the world falls away around you. And you're just in your own space, your own your own head, and you're you're processing your own ideas and your own um, uh, creativity. Uh, creativity is a complex and difficult word as well. It can mean many things, but I do actually think that the notion of of making is, if you're an artist, I think you you are an artist. You really can't. You have to make. Whether you're going to make things to produce and put them into the world or whether you're making them for yourself. It doesn't doesn't really matter. I think there's different levels of that. Um, and at times for me in my practice, I have continued to make, but I haven't actually continued to put it out in the world as a professional. And, you know, I, I think those moments, as I remember those moments, I almost remember the carpet on the floor at Croydon. I actually did take photos when we sold the house of the of the carpet and the wallpaper. And I think I even have a fragment of the, the, the wallpaper that fell off. Um, um, it's those sorts of memories that I, I also work with in my, my art practice. But I really, it, you know, those sweet little moments of, of childhood memory, I think, um, are reminders of, why we are or who we are. I think it's very important to go through that process of actually understanding um, what your childhood was like and and where it's placed you to, yeah. And Linda, you mentioned that you finished up school at year 10. Prior to that, what, what role did school have on your creativity? Were you, again, able to immerse yourself into, into arts during your school years? Art was the only subject I was good at. <laughs> it was the only, well, it was the only subject I, I I enjoyed, and I really looked forward in the in in the timetable of the week to to art classes, I guess. And um, I think that I had comments from um, many of my teachers about how much I actually drew with the columns of my English books and my maths books. <laughs> Um, and I guess I was quite focused on um, mark making and drawing, but I also, I, I have a vague memory too that I used to like writing poetry and um, writing, you know, creating stories as well. So uh, I think I, I don't remember much more about my um, schooling <laughs> other than that. Um, I know it was a happy time. I don't think it was an unhappy time or a difficult time. I think it was uh, a very, um, yeah, I didn't know really till I think I was in year 10 and I, I was faced with going on and doing other subjects again. And that's when I went, I don't, I don't really, I, I kind of in, intuitively knew that I didn't want to do those other things. I didn't want to waste that two years. And I didn't want, so I decided that I wanted to focus that two years on learning to be, uh, learning to draw and learning to take photographs and be an artist. But um, I, I don't know if I actually had a label for that at that point. I was only 17. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of um, a crazy risk that I took. Yeah. I think it was, um, yeah, I mean, I'm now reconnected with a lot of friends of mine from school via uh, various um, avenues, and I, they have more memories of, of uh, school than I actually do, so I don't know if that's, I disconnected, I don't, I don't think so. I think it was just that I 
I um I made a decision to um go to TAFE based on what I've said. Yeah, yeah. And going to TAFE in in 1979, what is now the Sydney Gallery School. Um, you you started uh, studying analog photography and experimental painting. What was what did that involve? What was the split of kind of practical work versus theory work for you at, at Meadowbank TAFE? Um, there's a, there's a little bit of irony in this um, what I'm about to say. I uh, I used to fall asleep in theory classes because the art theory teacher was so boring. And I, I laughed my head off because I ended up teaching art history at Newcastle Art School and professional practice for over 14 years. <laughs> so it, it, it there's a bit, but I think I learned, I mean, I learned a little bit of a lesson from, from that. Um, but uh, I, I actually loved art history. At the end of, um, I think it was the end of second year, one of the teachers asked us to list off key artists from pre uh, the pre-19th century and movements. And I was the only one in the room that could. Um, and I think this is the thing with TAFE. TAFE often and probably still, I mean, my, my, TAFE, my friends who were TAFE teaching still probably kick me for saying this, but at TAFE often um, students would come in and they didn't want to do art theory anyway. They wanted, they'd come to learn to draw or paint um, and I guess I was like that too. I, I just wanted to learn to paint and draw and um, make prints and whatever else was um, thrown at me at that, that point. Because you are a bit like a sponge. But this teacher actually said, you know, list five artists from uh, and movements before the 19th century. And I paddled them off my tongue. And I said the same thing when he asked about 20th century artists. Um, they just came out of my mouth because I had read and I'd done all the research. I just hadn't done it in art theory class, which is quite funny, really. Anyway. <clears throat> Do you think it's important, Linda, for for artists of any discipline to have that respect and understanding for the history and, and those who have come before them? Oh, absolutely, completely. I don't think any art student um, would be able to really fully embrace their work without a knowledge or even a connection to another contemporary artist. I mean, because art history is also what's happening now. It's con what's being produced in a, um, the contemporary era. And I also, I mean, I've just been to Biennale and um, I've only seen one section of Biennale, but <clears throat> the curatorial process that, that um, Brooke Andrews has, has actually, um, the, the actual... Um, exhibition he has created pulls together that notion of um, contemporary art and history because um, a lot of it, for me, I think it is about questioning history and questioning context. And, and I think I've, I, I spoke to you about this um, before. Um, to me, uh, art uh, questions civilization, and I think it always has. It's always been political. It's a stance that you make, you you take, you make a you make a political decision. The artist takes a political decision. The person who commissions the work takes a political decision, uh, political stance uh, about who they've chosen and what they've chosen to put in an exhibition or to commission. Um, and I think it is really very important to to. Um, to know that, to have a really deep understanding of um, art history and also the interlocking. And that this is how we taught at, at TAFE too. We taught, we would give students, we would ask them to choose 10 um, historic subjects to research connected with an era. So, for example, if it was, you know, world, uh, we, they were looking at the dataists, they'd have to look at World War One because without that war, the Dadaists uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have actually come into being. So that notion of art being connected to social history, collective history, is, um, is very important. And Linda, in 1983, you moved on to study visual arts at the University of New South Wales, which started a passion for printmaking. Uh, how did you uncover that passion? 
Look, I, it, it's interesting because I, I did go there to major in drawing and I did do, I think, a year of, of um, drawing as a major. And then I walked into the lithography room and these people were drawing on the stones and uh, in the litho room. And I went, oh, I can draw on a litho stone and then produce an image in reverse. Oh, this is me. <laughs> and um, I had done, you know, at, uh, I mean, in our foundation year, we did lino blocks and we did silk screen and we did um, all the standard things that you do in first year. And I had actually also done silkscreen printing at TAFE, which I thought was just the most horrendous at the time, messy, goopy process, which is ironic because I'm a screen printer principally and a you know photo-based printmaker now. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> but yeah, I walked in and I, you know, I got excited about lithography and um, um, and then, when I, of course, when I left art school, the, the only thing I didn't teach was lithography. So I ended up being teaching um, liner block <laughs> and monotype and dry point and all these other things. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, but, yeah, that, that led me on that path, even though uh, I think the interesting thing, I guess, that um, I have gone full circle. Um, <clears throat> During my master's degree, I and I think I mentioned this to you prior to this, I think I sent it to you, uh, I walked into the lithography room at Newcastle University when I was doing a tour when I was teaching at Newcastle Art School. And they had these huge lithography stones. And I, I once again went, oh, here we are. Um, so I enrolled in a master's uh, at the University of Newcastle. And um, I, that was when I actually merged all of the processes. I think that coming back to my art practice through that um, postgraduate degree, and that was the time too that my family home was being, the contents of my family home was being dispersed. And I had a visceral reaction to that and my um, supervisor um, from the University of Newcastle went, well, why don't you make your work about that? And I did shift into um, uh, and came back to photography and photo-based media and then everything sort of merged. I went to Melbourne and did a short course with um, Peter Lancaster. I got a um, University of Newcastle grant to travel to Melbourne and spend some time with Peter Lancaster in Brooklyn and uh, learnt the process of photolithography, which is um, how to expose photographic uh, lithography plates so I could put the photos of the family onto plates and print them and roll them up. Um, and some people might think, why would you do that? <laughs> I, I think that sort of notion of the uneven, imperfect print as well is part of, I love that, that uh, idea that, I mean, I, at the time too, I also thought, it really fitted, um, the actual process fitted with the reproduction of family imagery, not necessarily taking the photo and making a perfect digital copy. As people do with family history, they fix all the flaws in the photograph. I wanted all those flaws. I want all those little <laughs> pieces of because it's part of history. When a photo is damaged, to me, that is part of the integral um, history of the photograph as well. So, uh, yeah, so I, I went to, originally, we get back to you, <laughs> we've got off track here. Um, so I went, to, when I did my undergraduate, I, I did, I, I shifted from a major in drawing to a major in lithography. And um, I also had started doing photography in my, my second year. I went in there and you know, originally enrolled to major in photography and um, in my second year. And then I changed my mind and majored in, majored in um, drawing and then shifted into lithography. So I think the interesting thing is it took me another another 20 years to merge those three, those three elements. And now I'm becoming quite comfortable with that. And I switch hats 
I do switch hats. It confuses gallerists, it confuses curators. Um, but I love it, you know. And what I do now, I think, is interesting is that I'm shifting back to other people's stories and stories about the landscape, not necessarily family history. I can shift into photography for that. And I've just finished uh, 12 months as artist in residence for the um, uh, Parramatta Diocese of Catholic Education. And I produced a whole body of work for them and with students using multiple exposed film. Um, and for me, that still is a printmaking process. It's still about layering the images in the film as I would if I was going to roll up one image and print and then roll up another image and print over the top of it. Um, so those images, you know, it might be, you know, an object that is a symbol and then the landscape itself over the top. Um, so that's, yeah, I guess I've, got, I've kind of gone full circle and I'm now uh, quite comfortable with, with, well, much more comfortable with my practice. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Looking back on the, the different tertiary degrees you've done, the, the qualifications you, you've picked up, is there kind of one key lesson either personally or professionally that you, you feel you've, you've learnt over those courses? I think, I think the interesting thing that I would say to um, young, young artists coming through, I think it's very important to pull apart your practice at every step of the journey. I think you need to say, well, uh, even after every body of work, <laughs> um, where am I at? Where is this going? Um, and it, it is, and I think it is very important to um, absorb what your teachers have to offer you, uh, but not be overpowered by that. Because I have been in that instance where I've taken on and, you know, produced work and even have jobs that have taken me much further away from where I have wanted to be. And, I've, you know, there's been a point where you just stand up and you go scratch your head and go, well, how did I get here? <laughs> where do I want to be? And I think that's that's a natural thing for us, all of us in life, to question that. But I think as artists, and particularly young, it takes a while to really get that notion of uh, process your own individual creative process. Yes, yes, absorb art history. Yes, absorb history. Um, but as an individual, how am I processing, processing this? And um, and that's why I, I, I think as a mentor, I would say to anyone who, who is making a decision about becoming an artist or working in the arts, um, I think it is really important to understand or unpack inverted commas, <laughs> unpack your practice from time to time, and you know, put, like what what do you carry in that bag? You know, okay, yes, I carry a print roller, I carry a camera, I carry paper and pencils, and art materials. So I I, I have painted, I've drawn, I still do mixed media drawing and printmaking, and. Um, so it's understanding where your vocabulary is at various um, legs of the journey. You mentioned passing on, I guess, advice and guidance to that next generation. And, Lindy, you have spent some time teaching at TAFE and high schools, as you mentioned. What is it about teaching that you enjoy? I love seeing people's um, um, process, creative process or imagery come to fruition I think it's that yes it's the gift of giving I guess to I mean to a degree um, passing on skills 
understanding that there is a, a generational, you need to actually relay that information to people. Um, I think, yeah, I think it is definitely seeing the work and an individual artist's work and pathway open up. And that, that, that is actually, I've had some interesting, looking back, I've had some very interesting, you know, students who've actually been quite successful and have followed the path right through. And then there's other people who've not followed the path at all. And that's also okay to be able to say, you know, you don't have to continue to be an artist full time. You can, and you know, you can work in the arts as well. There's lots of careers in the arts. Um, and I think, you know, people who, who run galleries have all been through art school, but they may not be practicing as artists. And I think there's that sort of, um, evolution that's or knowledge of evolution is important but I also do think for me um, I don't know it's a, it's a it's a very difficult question to answer is seeing people succeed in some ways is is wonderful um, but I think the studying art doesn't necessarily mean um, you know success in the arts it, it's about um, having a creative tangent in, in your life and seeing that people continue to be creative in different ways is also very important for me. I, I you know, I mean, I've got, um, I don't know whether I should, uh, I won't say who she is, but um, someone I taught in high school way, way, way back and um, she's now a quite successful musician and um, uh, lives in Victoria and, uh, you know, she has found her creative niche in music and but everything about her life is creative how she presents herself is creative um she's an extraordinary human being and um i think uh we all channel our creativity in different ways and i think it's sometimes that pathway um is um different for everybody so it's, it, you don't know what you're going to present as a teacher <laughs> You walk into a room. Sometimes you don't know who you who, who you're up against. You know, you might have people who come with totally different ideas in the head to what you're actually you've organised the program around. And that's what's good about me teaching privately now. I don't have to necessarily stick to a program. Um, however, <laughs> as a TAFE teacher, it was it was quite frustrating because um, people would buck you and you know not want to do the work in the way that you wanted them to do the work. Um, and then you might find too that years down the track, these people actually um, became, you know, I've, I've got students who've actually now got PhDs and uh, ex-students who <laughs> have gone on to be quite successful. And I, I think, you know, they would never have uh, predicted it either. It's just a teaching art is a part, you know, is opening a pathway. And I think that's, um, that's really important to remember that, that that pathway is individual and very different for um, every different art, artist than it should be. Um, and it, sometimes as, as, a, as an educator, it's very difficult because we have to, all these constraints of syllabus and syllabi and, you know, <laughs> programming and ticking boxes. And, and um, for me, leaving that system um, I'm contemplating going back into a system at the moment and um, re-registering as a high school teacher. And I'm, I'm, I'm at odds with that a little bit. And I've spoken to uh, current art teachers and um, about that. And it's quite, quite understandable um, because the system, uh, what we do as artists is not necessarily... Um, the system isn't isn't prepared for that creativity, and I think it's becoming harder and harder for that to actually be supported within an uh, education framework. And Linda, just to touch on um, your, your teaching, you know, one of the one of your students who has benefited from your guidance is Ashley Bucholtz, who's been a guest on this podcast as well. Seeing people like Ashley and others who have really grown and, um, I guess, blossomed as a result, partly of you know your guidance, 
What's the emotion that comes with that? Is it pride? Is it satisfaction? What do you feel seeing yeah, people like Ashley really honing their craft? Absolutely. Completely. Absolutely. And I will tell you one student. <laughs> um, when I was teaching just after art school, this is even prior to um, doing my Diploma of Education at Sydney Uni, um, I taught at a place called Little Place, Little. I was employed by Sydney City Council as a casual recreation supervisor and uh, we did some quirky programs there and I was teaching life drawing. And I got a special request for a 12-year-old uh, to come and join my life drawing class. Now, this is way back in the 90s. Yeah? And I was sort of like, well, oh, how does mum and dad feel about that? Um, and she has gone on. She was allowed to, I so, you know, I spoke to her parents and we got permission. And her parents were, I think, extraordinary. Very lucky. I would have loved to have her parents. Um, and she's now uh, gone on to do amazing things. Her name is Justine Muller. And um, and we've reconnected only recently on social media. Um, and I made a comment on Ashley's, one of Ashley's uh, photographs of her weekend workshop just this weekend gone. It was a young girl sitting there drawing away astutely. And it made me think about that moment with Justine and, and looking at what she, I mean, I clearly remember how talented she was, but she was dedicated. She was there. And I think that's, I, as an educator, that, that's the thing that actually does come through um, when you see someone who, and I've seen people who've actually really got all the skills in the world, um, they don't do anything with it. They walk away and do something else. Um, and I've seen um, artists who have pretty good skills but work hard. And I think that uh, being an artist, <laughs> you have to have, um, in my my knowledge, really, I believe that there's a, it's a combination of things. Yes, and I think as Ashley said in her podcast, so you know, to a degree, I think you've got to be in the right place, but uh, at the right time. But I actually do think you need to place yourself in the right place at times too. And I think that's that dedication, hard work, focus is really important. To, uh, within the arts to actually, I mean, I, I, I'm um, probably not as, I'm definitely not as successful as many of my um, uh, peers because I have walked off the path. I did community arts. I've focused far too long and hard on teaching. Um, and Girl Cuts in 2013, um, I made a decision not to apply because we we all had to compete for positions. I made a, a, a difficult decision at the time to not compete with other staff members and took a voluntary, voluntary redundancy. Um, other things were happening for me privately at the time. Um, it was a very stressful time. But looking back, it, what it did is it placed me back on a creative path. Um, very shortly after I left work, I went on a, on an artist residency in Melbourne, outside um, well in Eltham, outside um, Melbourne, in Victoria, and um, it saved my life really <laughs> as an artist because I, I actually was put in a different place and and um, was forced to start thinking and working creatively again, and I think um, I do not want to go back to full time teaching as a result of that. I think, um, yeah, I think that uh, was, a, you know, it really was a difficult time for a lot of people. And I know, I know several other ex-TAFE teachers who um, embraced being creative again and coming back to their own individual um, art practices. Um, I think it's really an important, and this is part of it, really did challenge me and... Um, make me think about who I was again and unpack my practice, I guess, at the time. You mentioned the, the art residency in 2012 and 2013 in Victoria and the real, the real impact it had on you. Do you think that's important, again, for other people that at times you need that kind of reset, that you need to be oh. taken out of your comfort zone to somewhere else? Yes, absolutely, completely. 
I, I actually have spent more time applying for artist residencies than I have for art prizes because um, I, I personally think that they feed more of my creative soul. Um, I think sometimes we get so caught up in our own little worlds that it is really hard to let go of the real world to actually focus on that poetic space or that creative space and to walk into the studio. Um, and I think sometimes looking at another place for that can be quite rejuvenating. It has for me anyway, yeah. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Along the same lines, Linda, you, you moved to the Blue Mountains a few years ago. What impact did that have on you and, and what new inspiration did that provide? Well, look, I, I, I'll be honest about this. Is a, a, I went looking for a residency space to come up here and um, I actually approached one and I won't <clears throat> mention who they were, um, but I couldn't come because I had a child. Um, I It was the only one in the Blue Mountains and most Blue Mountains artists will know who, where it is. I was told I couldn't come because I was a single mother with a child. Um, so I just said to Pete, my friends, I said, well, can I come and stay? Can I, I want to come up and take photos. I've got to do this and that. So I stayed in people's houses and, and one of them was a really <clears throat> lovely friend of mine from art school who now works um, in the Historic Houses Trust, Gay Hendrickson. I stayed with the Hendricksons and I um, I was having, a, a, I think, a glass of wine and sitting and catching up. We hadn't seen each other in a long, long time. And um, she said, so what are you doing since you lost your job? And I said, well, look, oh, you know, I've thought about moving here and moving to, moving to different places like Wollongong and Canberra. I've thought about Canberra and I think I, I definitely thought about Melbourne because it was the printmaking capital of Australia, as a friend of mine calls it. But, I, I mean, I don't think it entirely is really. But anyway, um, I, you know, I spent probably about four years floundering and I applied for jobs in the Hunter and um, got close to a couple of them. And then the other jobs were advertised and I wanted to apply and I couldn't because of my uh, personal situation. And, um, you know, the job, the byline on the job would say must be able to work weekends or nights, and as a single parent, it's not always easy to do. So I, anyway, finally having this conversation with Gay, she said, oh, you have me considered moving to the Blue Mountains? And I said, no, but I don't know why. And I had, clearly I remember, I had it like an epiphany. It was like this, hairs on the back of my neck stood on end, and I said, you can't, I can't believe like this is happening, but I think You've just hit the nail on the head. And she said, well, you're right in the middle of everything, aren't you? And I said, well, I guess you're right. Because I've worked at West. I've worked in Dubbo as a TAFE teacher before going to Newcastle. So friends in Orange and at West and Hill End. I have friends in Sydney and family in Sydney, um, although that's shifting at the moment. Um, and um, I have friends in Canberra and Wollongong and Central Coast, and so it actually, the more I thought of it, about it, it was geographically at the centre of being more connected to people. And it just fell into place from there, just the decision sort of like was made, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, I was, I was researching um, my aunt or finding a house. Initially I was looking for a house that my, my father had said to me, uh, his aunt Ada had painted, and so that fascinated. That's the sort of story that ignites 
gets me going. <laughs> um, so I wanted to find the house. I wanted to find out a little bit more about Ada. And um, so I found, I came up looking and I found um, a street name online, and um, but I couldn't find a number. So I went looking, did a bit more research, and then I actually found the house, which is actually in North Katooma. And ironically, my son now goes to school right around the corner from there. Um, and uh, so I took, uh, that was the, the fastest roll of film I've ever shot in my life. So I went, knocked on the door of the house and said, can I take a photo of your house? As you do, a complete stranger. And I explained the story to this woman and she was very excited about it. And um, I said, well, look, I, you know, I'll, 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 you know, get back to you when the photographs have been produced. And um, the house has since been resold, so I, have, I wasn't able to do that. But I, I shot the house and then I raced down, I rolled the film back in the camera, and I raced down the road and, and reshot Minamara, uh, not Minamara, uh, Minihaha Falls over the top because that's where she would have walked and the family would have walked. Um, and also interesting for me as, an, as another little layer is that finding out it was a women's place in Indigenous culture it, it, to me, it actually had another significance to um, the story. Yeah. So that's that's the, that was the first story, and then I started, you know, that just created other, um, set me on a path, I guess, toward researching other family stories up here. And Linda, your work, it is, you know, like you said, laid. It's research driven. You're collecting family history, and like you said, the human footprint in the landscape to tell these stories. Do you, do you see your work using art to, to share this almost as more like a historian than an artist, or do you think it's a hybrid mix? Oh, it's completely hybrid. I mean, I don't always tell the truth. <laughs> um, it, I think I, I, the best way to describe it is to say um, I'm like a historic novelist. I collect all the fact. I put it in a bowl or in a mix, and then I pull out the things that I think will be an interesting visual um, story or a, a construct, I guess. Um, and um, usually they're fairly accurate. I mean, I would say fairly. <laughs> it's a broad term. Um, uh, and the, the further, you know, the, the um, I mean, yeah, the further I go back in history, the harder it is to get evidence. Um, and I've actually got, um, at the moment, I've currently got a, several tabs. I have tabs open like a computer in, in my head. But uh, the stories don't always take, they're not quick in germinating. They're, they're slow, uh, slow cooked up making, I guess. But um, the Meredith story, I shot three rolls of film uh, in a house I found in Maitland where my ancestor Eleanor Meredith. She was born Eleanor Meredith. She got married to a convict at 16, absconded from that family, that, that marriage, which I don't think sounded like it was particularly happy, <laughs> with another man. And she ended up in the Hunter Valley. And this woman was just, in, in reading about her and finding out about it, she was feisty. So they created this other identity, these two, and took off into the Hunter Valley out of Sydney. And I think Ferrier was actually um, an ex-convict as well. Um, and she had an entirely different family. Now, I'm descended from the first one, Burroughs, but um, I, you know, these are the things, that's, that's an, those three rolls of film in the, were shot in the house that we found in, in uh, Talara in Maitland and I they're unfinished so I'm actually now I am I actually sent a message to my family this morning saying can I have, can, can, you know can I get someone to be the other layer um I don't know if they'll respond um but you know that's certainly I have lots of unfinished work often and then I'll start another body of work and that might sit there for a while so um yeah I do I do a lot of research and sometimes it might be I mean, I've just found my 
have found out that my my mother's grandmother was German, and I've just found out we've also got Irish ancestry. So fairly recently, and um, and my mother's family we know very little about. So it's um, it's always it's it's part of that creative process for me. It's part of the journey to find out the information. Yeah. And Linda, you'd mentioned to me that for you, art can take you to kind of completely unexpected places. And like you just touched on there, the ability to kind of use creativity to to form a story. Do you like to lean on your personal experiences for creativity or kind of more your interpretation of the world? I think it it depends on the story I'm trying to tell. Um, It can vary. Um, I sometimes do direct drawings of a place. Um, I sometimes will take photos, and I, you know, it, it it really does depend on the story. I think is probably the easiest way for me to answer that. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any one hard, fast way. It's reading about the story, and it literally is. I mean, it can for me a. a, a a body of work can be born out walking through a cemetery. I mean, <laughs> there is a, there's a term for that. There's actually, you know, apart from, you know, perhaps being Gothic, um, I love cemeteries and uh, I love the, the journey, the actual um, creative, you know, reading about the genealogy online, um, actually finding the graves is very exciting to me. Um, and we found one recently in Waverley, or, you know, my great-grandmother, um, buried in Waverley Cemetery. Um, and, you know, up in the same cemetery when I was searching, we found another Swinfield. And and so it's those little kind of um, unexpected things sometimes spark another story that you haven't at all predicted um, that will take you into creating a body of work about that woman and not necessarily your grandmother. <laughs> um, whether I will, I won't, I don't know. But th- those are the things that I think fuel my practice. And sometimes it's direct, a physical response to sight. Um, and sometimes it's a very intuitive response to sight. Um, and it does, you know, I do sometimes sit and go, how does that feel in my body? How does it what, what am I processing about this? Um, and I can get varying responses from that as well. So, yeah, it doesn't, there's no, I often don't know what I'm going to produce until <laughs> I'm producing it. I hope that answers your question. Yes, yes it does. <laughs> Linda, oh, yeah. a challenge for you uh, throughout your career is being a, a woman, woman artist. What challenges has that presented to you and why why has it been uh, a big hurdle for you? Well, I think, uh, you know, I've always, I actually do think even much more recently than even early on. I mean, I've always had a very strong sense of being connected to other women artists. Um, and when I was at art school, I was one of the first people to, to mention certain artists that friends might look back on and go, oh, you were the first person to mention Frida Kahlo to me and Kata Colwitz and, you know, uh, Georgia O'Keeffe and all these sorts of things. Um, and it's not that I don't or dislike male artist work, but I've often felt a greater connection to women artists um, but I do think recently, particularly, and it's that instance I told you about the, about the residency up here, um, and I'm setting up a studio here and I've contemplated setting up a residency here because of that situation, is there's very little for women, even still, in the arts. And um, I, th- I still think uh, there certainly is still less representation for women in the arts. But when you get into a situation uh, where you are a single mother at 44 and uh, separate from, you know, familial support, um, 
you know, I mean, I, I even have conversations with women who've got husbands or partners who are present, um, and they struggle. And I, I often have to question to myself, do I really want to do this enough? Am I going to, you know, I've taken my son on several res residencies. Um, but as he's getting older, it's going to be more difficult for me to do that. It's um, disrupting, you know, potentially disrupting his education. So, um, yeah, so that, that challenge has become more complex. So, yes... You know, as a woman, you've got to, uh, you know, encompass single parenting, working, raising a child, juggling money, bills, bill paying. Um, yeah, so it becomes more complicated when you have children, I guess, too. Um, and, you know, historically, knowing the history, um, that has been, um, for women artists historically, uh, a difficult decision, you know, and a difficult juggle, and I, I, I kind of think we're in a better we're in a better era, but it still is uh, something that um, women have to come to terms with. Like recently, I was trying to set up a meeting <laughs> with a friend in the school holidays, and uh, she has parents as well, uh, and has kids as well. She's a parent, pardon me, but um, and we couldn't we couldn't meet till you know we were both juggling too much in the school holidays so we had to have coffee after the school holidays <laughs> and you know you have to fit around those things that are your children's needs um and I, I don't want to sound like that's that's it you know he he is my world and I, I love him to bits I don't want to sound bitter about it but I actually think um I think it is easier for women who have a significant other in their life to take that juggle and um uh yeah yeah i think for you you mentioned linda as well a success on the flip side i guess has been that determination and drive and the ability to continue to keep making art despite life and all its hiccups have you taken the time to or do you take the time to look back and reflect on your career and, and the, the vast amount of experiences that you've had um Time to time I look at look back and sometimes see gaps. <laughs> I try not to think about it. Um, but uh, I think on on both fronts, I think you have you always have to look back and reflect. And there are points. I think for most artists, I think there's a point. It's like you know, recently I I was quite despondent, and probably only about a month ago. And I I sat down one day and I went. Oh, okay, I'll just apply for a couple of things. And I, I was honestly, you know, I, I think most artists do get to a point where they just want to give it up. And I've been at that point so many times where I've gone, I'm going to give this up. I'm going to take on a normal life. I take on, you know, what, whatever normal is, um, you know, uh, but, you know, take the, the easier road, so to speak. And um, I applied for an art prize and a residency. Now, I haven't heard back from the residency, but two weeks later I got word that I was into the art prize. And my sister, I sent my sister my sister a message and she said, you know, we, we, you know that, that to me is a sign that says, you know, hey, keep going, you know. <laughs> it's okay, you're on the right path. But sometimes it can be really tough. And being an artist isn't an easy decision to make. You know, you really, it isn't, it isn't always, um, you know, gallery openings and swatting and having a glass of wine and you have to work hard. You have to stay on the path. And, and that can be sometimes uh, like walking up a hill or, you know, like being a, a hamster on a treadmill. Sometimes it can be a difficult thing to do. Um I'm not, you know, I don't have gallery representation. A lot of my peers and my generation have been a lot more successful than me in that in relation to that. Um, I haven't. Um, I I was often, you know, I made a decision uh, earlier on to exhibit in artist-run spaces and take control and do all that myself. Um, I'm now finding it harder to do all that uh, as I get older and. Um, 
but I I do actually think it's you know it, I think you just have to kind of get a bit thick skinned. Is that the is that the term? And I I remember standing up in front of professional practice classes at TAFE and saying to students, "You've chosen a really rewarding career, but you really have to dig your heels in." You have to, to a degree, sometimes you just have to say, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep moving and um, try not let, you know, and I've been rejected so many times, it's not for art prizes and exhibitions. And and I think artists often don't talk about that, but everybody goes through it. We all go through it. And I used to say this in professional practice classes, you, you know, everybody has that feeling of being knocked on the chin, you know. Uh, um, and I think it, you really have to get a bit tough about it and just say, okay, I'm not going to let that get to me and move on. And a career and a life, you know, it's been an incredible journey for you to this point with many different pathways. Do you believe, Linda, in life that we find ourselves or that we create ourselves in terms of is the path already laid out for us in life or every decision we make helps get us to that end point? Um, I think it's a combination of both. I really do think you need to make your own path. Um, I think as soon as you make that decision about a career, whatever it might be, a musician or a writer or a a poet or a performer, um, you really need to to dedicate some time to that. And otherwise, if you don't dedicate the time to it, you don't really – that's, you know – I think you need to feed it, I guess, is feed that process and feed your creativity. Um, I think sometimes things come into that once you make that decision, if you've made the right decision. I'm a great believer in, um, and, you know, I don't know whether you believe, I mean, I think uh, in an afterlife, <laughs> but I've walked I've walked around looking for dead relatives and haven't been able to find them at, in cemeteries, and then I ask the universe and say, you know, find this person for me or talk to them and then I look down and see them. So sometimes I think sometimes when you're looking for something, it's the same analogy. You have to say, you know, I'm looking for this, I want this and ask for that journey to be created for you. Sometimes things just will happen as a result of that. But you need to believe in that and you need to actually create that yourself to a degree. Um that path is not going to open unless you want it to. Yeah, I, I really do think it's a combination. You you uh, put yourself out there, but you also have to make the work. You don't have to do it. You've got to, you've got to you know, allocate that studio time to make the work. And what what advice would you have for any artists or creatives who are looking to kind of hone their skills or push things a little bit further, What what's probably one key lesson that you would pass on to them? I, I think it's, I certainly think if you are calling yourself an artist, um, go to art school. <laughs> I know it costs a fortune these days, but, um, you know, at least get a mentor, um, learn from other people, be open to other people's opinions but don't necessarily like because I've, I've actually had encounters and I know other artists who've enc- encountered gallerists who have been a bit tough bordering on rude to give them feedback but yeah I, I think it's good to actually have feedback and put your work in front of people get people's opinions but I also do think it's probably a good idea to you know in this day and age there's a lot of people out there that I've encountered who call themselves artists and they've never been to college, that's okay. But you just, you know, you really need to get a mentor. You need to get someone who's going to um, guide you and support you. Um, and and I, it won't always be necessarily, uh, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Can I say this easily? Um, it, it may not always be an easy path, to question your creative process because I've had people do that to me and it, it, it kind of 
you know, I've taken some tough feedback, but that tough feedback often is has been good feedback. And sometimes you you might have to take the good with the bad. My advice is, yeah, I do think if people want to be an artist, and, and you know, I've seen kids in high school and recently, I mean, I really enjoyed going back into the high schools recently with that job with Captivate. I think it's very important to be open. You know, I spoke to a couple of kids in the high school so that, that one, one in particular, one girl in particular was very open, wrote everything down and was willing to think through what I had to offer and another girl just went, no, this is what I'm doing. And I'm, I, I just, I knew straight away um, I couldn't have changed her mind or redirected her. Um, that, that was fine. That was fine. But I do actually think you really have to try and be, if you're getting feedback or support or an opinion of another artist, particularly a more senior artist, is to, to take it on board to a degree. You don't have to do everything they say, but to uh, to listen. Mm. And finally, Linda, how do people um, get online and check out your work? What's the best way to, to, well, to part, see us? The website, part, social media? <laughs> look, yeah, I have a studio at um, up here on top of the mountain in Middlebath, and I am teaching from here. I'm teaching printmaking, but I also... I've, I have mentored people from here and I've mentored people online and that's called the wooden house in German, German spelling house. And that's on Instagram. And um, I also have a Facebook page called what is it that artists do? And uh, I have to, well, I've got also an Instagram page with that name too. I have a private um, Instagram, but I, I'm just not opening that up yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have a blog. Um, it's very old-fashioned these days to have a blog. But uh, it is sort of like a, a, a website cross scrapbook of my practice. I put class, you know, work of students up there sometimes and workshops that I've done and um, work that I'm researching. So if I go on a residency, I'll put a post up or if I've got work in an art prize, I'll, you know, put a post up. So... Um, it's probably a bit behind schedule, but <laughs> um, it's up on there, and that's just on WordPress, and that's just in my name. There's only one of me out there, Linda Swinfield at WordPress.com, and um, yeah, so they're, they're the, probably my um, studio page is probably the best way to contact me um, in Instagram. Well, Linda, a huge, huge thank you for your open and honest conversation and for being a part <laughs> of the Passion and Perspective podcast. We're wishing you all the best. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by The Western Weekender.